0: I remember there was a Bible school, and, and the pastor was teaching about salvation, making salvation. And, and the example was of uh, salvation being a boat, and you have two oars. You have to Use efforts, and you have to use faith. You have to use efforts, and you have to use faith. And that was the picture. I grew up with this idea. Now, nothing against efforts. But that was a wrong interpretation of the way how God works. But I also, I also noticed that each time when I preach about grace, I, I have objections from people of different walks of life and different school of ministries and denominational aspects, they would come to me and ask questions and challenge my position by saying, well, yes, but still too much grace is not really a good idea. You kind of have to also concentrate on the law, law a, a little bit. And let me just tell you right now, before I even go into anything, because today I'm wrapping up. Unfortunately, I have to move on to another topic next, next Sunday. But um, if I can just say this, and, and you, you, you get it, that would be accomplished something uh, anyway. So uh, if a person comes to me and says that too much grace might be a danger, I immediately know that this person, no matter who this person is, a pastor, a bishop, an apostle, he clearly does not understand the concept of grace because there is absolutely impossible to have too much grace. I also mentioned this, that when people say tell me that well yes you can have to a little bit of law and a little bit of grace that kind of come together i will tell you this that there is no such thing as and function in this regards it's an or action it's either grace or law there is no in between or there is no and grace or law it's an or not an again, it's, it's not that the law is bad. The Bible says that the law is good, but it's not compatible with the grace, and I will tell you a little bit about this today. So, um, we previous topics we had, we, we touched this idea of what grace does, what grace produces, and remember we were talking about the fact that it's kind of hard to define grace, because sometimes when we define grace, it tends to be technical, it tends to be academical, it tends to be theoretical, not applicable in my life, because I need to live somehow. I mean, it's nice to talk about grace and debate grace, we can talk about Armenian grace, we can talk about saving grace, we, talking, we can talk about uh, sustaining grace, we, we, talking, we can debate all these different kinds of grace, Th- that's all good, but I need to live tomorrow somehow. I need grace today. And my friends, I'll tell you this, me here staying before you is a good example of grace in action. If that was not for God's grace, I would not be able to stay today. I did not have anything that would qualify me to stay in front of you and teach the word of God, the way of God, through the Holy Spirit. puts in my heart. There is nothing in me that would be enabling me or qualifying me to do so. Grace of God, and I know grace from the experience. And my point is not to give you some theoretical uh, points about grace to discuss, to debate, to consider, to contemplate on, but to give you a picture, like we talked about before, that you could absorb it and apply it today. Because grace is like a lifeline. Grace is something that, that, that produces something in you. And it's not a subject just of discussion. It's a matter of life and death, if you want. And, and that's why we were talking about what grace does first. And, and we discussed this from the perspective of how Jesus did it. We, we were uh, talking about these two different scenarios. Remember, we were talking about the woman who was taken in adultery. And there was something scandalous about this situation because the woman didn't even beg Jesus for forgiveness. And yet Jesus says, I don't condemn you. That's grace. The question is, how come? Because see, my religiosity tells me that I have to beg God for forgiveness. And then maybe God will grant me forgiveness. Woman didn't. She was just completely disabled by the sin. And then we were talking about this guy, the invalid who was laying in the, the pools of Bethesda. And again, the initiative came from Jesus. Remember? Because he, each, and I preached about this before, each time when people say, I found Jesus, it, I cringe. Because it's, not, it's impossible for you to find Jesus. Jesus finds you. Jesus finds you. Grace of God finds you. The Bible says that we were not looking for him, seeking him. We didn't care about things of God. That people cannot find nothing. And then the grace of God shows up. Up and touched us and something happened inside of us and we were awakened to the things of God, grace of God. And Jesus came to this guy who was laying by the pulse of Bethesda 28 years and he asked him, do you want to be well, grace? And so, then the, 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 the next um, uh, week after that, we have a discussion how grace does it. We were talking about the vehicle of grace or method of grace as the opposite of religion, as the opposite of, of legalistic approach, method of grace. And then last week, we were talking about grace-based parenthood. How do we parent our kids How can we create a household that is dripping by by grace? And I mentioned some very important phrase that Jesus is an excellent example of relationship between Father and the Son when the grace from the Father is being transferred to the Son. How can I transfer or convey grace to my children? One of the most important things that I would like to teach my children is grace. You can teach them how to mow the grass. You can teach them how to drive the car. You can teach them how to be a man or a woman. You can teach them how to be abstained citizens. How can I teach them the grace of God? And that's I consider the most important task of a grace-based parenthood. And today I am wrapping up all these different pieces and I'm summarizing everything at the same time by defining the grace. <laughs> we are talking about what grace does, how, this, uh, how grace does it, and finally we are defining the grace. And again I'm going to refer to the picture, analyzing the pictures, or the videos, or the images that Jesus portrayed, because as we already discovered, Jesus was a person who was filled with grace and truth. And accidentally, Jesus never thought about grace, which is kind of interesting. He showed grace, demonstrated grace. He was leading by grace. He was teaching grace by demonstrating, showing an example, an awesome thing. And, and we were talking about how can we, as a church, as a body of Christ, as a body of believers, stop talking about grace, but just pray to God and say, God, enable us, please, to be your display of grace everywhere we, we go. Everywhere we go, last week I was helping a lady and um, it was a very convoluted and complex situation and it took a lot of efforts and mental and emotional efforts on my part to resolve some very conflicting situation. Uh, because people sometimes act in a very ungraceful way and and so I, I spent some time i had a lot of on my schedule but i had to i had to resolve this conflict a very big conflict and a lady and the lady came to me and she says and she says what do i owe you <laughs> what do i owe you and i said nothing you know me, it's crazy. I had a person yesterday who came to do the concrete, and he is a professional. He is a finisher of the concrete, and he does a lot of work on the concrete and makes makes money by doing this. And it's a hard labor. He has devices. He has machinery. And he is a father. He has kids, and so he came here, and 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 uh, and uh, he didn't ask any payment. And he doesn't even go to this church. Grace. He doesn't even go to this church. Grace. How can I be a person of grace or a church of grace? Now, before we move into this discussion, I want to give you a quote by Cheryl Zelensky, an author, who says a very good or formulated a very good definition of grace. There is going to be a working definition for today. Grace is God's unmerited favor. It is kindness and love we do not deserve. A free gift that we can never be or the free gift that can never be earned. I like this definition because this is exactly what we are going to talk about today. The grace is number one, unmerited favor, undeserved favor, and announced favor, unearned. Favor. Some of you would say, Well the second, but these three points means the same. Well, to some degree they are interchangeable terms, but each of them have a very unique dimension of grace that I want to briefly touch today by summarizing this monthly topic. And I really by doing that I really am praying that by the end of this message and this service and this month everyone here is inspired to number one receive that grace of God get determined inspired I I, I need that grace and make a decision to live by grace. To live by grace. Why? Because if I am a recipient of grace, only then I can offer grace to people. That's why a lot of people sometimes tell me, well, Pastor Oleg, I am not sure if I can come to church because I've got such a broken life. I've got such a, I need to put my act together. And I usually say, don't you know that we are a grace-based people? You don't need to put anything together to come to church, to come to Jesus. You first come to Jesus. Receive grace of God. And let God heal you. Restore you. And make you whole. That's the response that I have. So that's why. That, that is my sincere prayer today. That we make this decision. I am. I am going to receive the grace today. If, if I am not receiving grace. You know, sometimes people pick on me by saying that I am a perfectionist, and there is nothing, there is no bigger lie than that. Because perfectionist, it's a, it's a characteristic of a person who lives by law and who is a legalistic person. And I, I left that lifestyle a long time ago. I. I never accept perfectionism. Perfectionists is the people who live by law. But there is another flip side of perfectionism, it's called excellence. Excellence is, 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 uh, is, is something or a characteristic of people who live by grace. I am, I am striving for excellence in whatever I do, that's true. I don't don't want to do things poorly, not because I am suffering from perfectionism, but because I was touched by grace and I cannot afford doing poor things, especially when it comes to things of God and to people around me. People who are touched by grace, they have excellent spirits, and the more you are touched by grace, the more you strive to excellence with no condemnation, just on your own volition. You have a desire to be excellent. But I don't want to go this direction. This is different stuff. So the base scripture that I want to propose to you is again John 1.14, the way have we used this before. And the scripture says, The world became flesh and made his dwelling among us, we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Now, before I move on, uh, uh, full of grace and and truth, have you ever thought about how, in what proportions or what ratio it was? Was it 50-50? 50 grace? 50 truths. I want to propose that Jesus Christ was a person, a son of God, the son of God who was filled with 100% of truth and with 100% of grace in the same time. There was no 70-30, 50-50, 100% of truth and 100% of grace. But here is the thing. When you put grace and truth together, that's when you come up with Jesus Christ. It's not just grace, and it's not just truth. It's, a completely, it's like an alloy. When you put zinc and uh, what? People who are good in ca- copper. You got what? Bronze. Right? If I'm not mistaken. And you, that's, you, you got completely new alloy. The same thing with Jesus, you had grace and truth together that produced that Son of God dripping and manifesting and showing the grace of God in the boundaries of the truth of God. Now, this is the quote that I wanted to use moving forward because it demonstrates a very profound truth right now by Jerry Bridges if you ever read his books. He says the grace of God is one of the most important subjects in all scripture and I agree with this. That's why I feel kind of sad that we need to wrap it up with grace and move somewhere else because honestly if that was up to me I would just preach about grace all year round, and I would still not be able to cover all there is to say about grace. At the same time, it is probably one of the least understood topic. And again, I I agree. Let me read this quote for you from David Simmons, Dr. David Simmons, and, and, and then it will put this in the right perspective. Listen, he says, I am convinced that the basic cause of some of the most disturbing emotional and spiritual problems which trouble evangelical Christians is the failure to receive and live out God's unconditional grace and the corresponding failure to offer that grace to others. I encounter this problem in the counseling room more than any other hand But notice that he's talking about not people in general, he's talking about evangelicals, which is believers. He's referring to believers. Believers who fail to receive grace of God and as a result to give grace of God to people. How many times I look at the church and I see problems in the church? I see unforgiveness, I see depression, I see anxiety, I see dissolution of marriages, I see broken relationships, and the list goes on and on and on. And the question always is, how is it possible in the church, in the body of Christ, we have so many conflicts and issues and problems, and the answer is this, grace. We learn so much about different topics, the, the gifts of the Holy Spirit, and, and the, the, the fruits of the Holy Spirit, and different theology, and the history of church, and stuff like grace. Something that makes us whole, like Jesus says to this paralytic, okay? With that being said, I am jumping into this first point, which is unmerited grace. Now, in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, Apostle Paul says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourself. No, 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 no. It is the gift of God, not by works or efforts, so that no one can boast. now, when I'm talking about these two people that we took as illustration for God's grace as expressed through Jesus Christ, a woman who was taken in adultery, and this paralytic guy who was spending 27 years at the pools of Bethesda, they demonstrate this point really clearly. See, unmerited, I'm not sure what comes to your mind when you think about merit. In my mind, when I'm talking about merit, I always remember this title, Professor Emeritus. Do you know what Professor Emeritus is? Professor Emeritus is a guy who was a professor his entire life, went or retired from his position, but he retained the title of an honorable professor or a president or a pastor. There is a pastor emeritus. He's he's no longer a pastor, but he is maintaining honorable title because of his life being a pastor or a professor or a president. And that speaks to honor and worth. You led an honorable life and you're entitled to a title or a position, honorable title. Now, in these cases, with women and with this man, they didn't have any merits. In simple terms, we call them low lives, street language. nobodies. Unmerited favor speaks to people who don't really have anything to show. Because let's just, before I move on, let's just think for, uh, uh, like this for a second. What do, you, what do you tell a person who spends 38 years disabled without doing anything? Imagine the most productive years laying by the pools of Bethesda. The question is this, if I look at some people, I can tell them, I don't know, 20 30 years, 38 years, 15 years, 10 years, but people can say, Pastor Oleg, I feel like I wasted my life. I hear it from people. I feel like my life was such a waste, years just went by. I did not accomplish anything. I'm not an accomplished person. I don't really have anything to show. I don't really have anything to be proud of. I don't have anything to boast. See, boast right there. I don't have anything to boast about. That speaks to merit. Now, when we are talking about grace, grace is designed specifically for people like this. People who don't have anything to show. People who feel like they wasted 38 years in their lives. And let me tell you why. See, when we first came to Jesus and we gave our lives to Jesus, we received something that we called saving grace. And at that point, we, we were very grateful to God. We were very happy that God saved us, right? And then we become churchgoers, or we became religious people. So we started to read the Bible. We started to go to church on Sundays. And then we somehow... Figured in our mind, subconsciously, you might not even define it that wait a second, I am better than this person on the street who doesn't even go to church. Why? Because I go to church. I married something. But here is the problem when I married God's favor, then I married by the law. The Bible says if you violate at least one commandment, you violate what? The entire, all the law. So each time when we try to build our relationship with God on the base of our merits, there is, there is actual definition to this phenomena, and the Bible calls it, it's a filthy rugs. When I try to relate to God based on my merit, what I bring to God is filthy rugs. And let me just give you this illustration. The more I try to build my relationship with God on the merit, the more filthy rugs I bring to God. And do you know how many people I see who are carrying lots of filthy rugs, sometimes and not to disparage anybody, but just to observation, I see people on the streets, homeless people. And they have these bags. Of stuff in them, and for them it's a treasure. But really, for me, if I look at that, I wouldn't use probably nothing in those bags. So how many times we come to God with our filthy rags, and proudly say, "God, here was what we got," and so much so. For people who've been conditioned by religion, they accepted saving grace, but they don't understand that we are living by the sustaining grace all the time. And there is no end in it. it's only grace. Apostle Paul says, "All what I've done, all what I accomplished. actually it's not me. It's grace of God. In me, accomplish that. Why? Because I, I don't I don't I don't feel like I accomplish anything. It's all by the grace of God, unmerited favor. I like the quote by Timothy Keller, Tim Keller, who says, "Grace is the free, unmerited favor of God, working powerfully." on the mind and heart to change lives. Now my friend, unless I receive this message, receive this revelation, receive this unmerited favor of God, there is no transformation of my heart, I believe it. How can I change from being bitter, religious, and, and, and legalistic, and, and like Pharisee or Sadducee? How, how, how can I change? How can I transform? How can I be more like Jesus? There's only one way. is to accept unmerited favor of God, which is one of the aspects of God's grace. I don't have to prove anything to anybody i live by grace alone and and the funny thing is when people look at me and you know people judge me and i don't even get offended when people come to me and say oh like you're weird you're this you're bad you have this bad character and you have flaws i'm like yeah yeah of course you didn't know it yeah yeah, yeah sure i don't even get offended why because i don't even care about this i live by grace Wherever I am, it's irrelevant. I receive the grace of God and I've been transformed of grace of God. If you want to go ahead and label me and and put labels on me and and stickers and, and titles, it's up to you. The reason why I don't put labels on people, because I don't receive labels from people either. I live by grace and I dispense grace. Unmerited. Favour of God. Neither the invalid or a woman accomplished anything when they received grace of God. And then undeserved favor and Apostle Paul continues, and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that come by Christ Jesus now deserve being des- d- 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 to deserve something it means that you did something that makes it morally just to give you that what you want you deserve something both in 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 a negative or a positive sense actually But the grace of God is undeserved, meaning we never did anything. We never work or make something that would trigger God's favor. Like I mentioned, this filthy rags, undeserved. That's why the famous commentator of the Bible, Matthew Henry, if you, know, if you have his commenta- com- com- commentary, he says, grace is the free, undeserved goodness and favor of God to mankind. It's, it's something that is given to you without you trying to be cute and triggering God's heart by doing so you are receiving goodness of god regardless of you being in a position or deserving this or not it doesn't matter what you've done it doesn't matter what you didn't do it doesn't matter what your race is, it doesn't matter what your education is, it doesn't matter what your character is, it doesn't matter how mean you are or how good you are, it doesn't matter. You are receiving God's grace freely. No string attached. There is no this deserve factor in it. And then we are jumping into this an own favor, that's another dimension as you can see. Each of them, these terms can be used interchangeably, but they mean slightly different things. And in Romans 11:6, Apostle Paul says, and if by grace we receive this redemption and salvation, then it cannot be based on works. See, you can either have works or grace. There is no end; it's or. If it were, grace would no longer be grace. It would be something else. If you mix work into this equation, it stops being grace anymore. I like Francis Chan, who says, salvation is all about the grace of God. It's all what it is. There is no two ors. Like this one pastor says, well, grace, it's when you're sitting in the boat and God gives you oars to perfect your salvation. And those oars that God gives you call grace. I'm sorry, my friend. No. No. That's not grace. (laughs) We are talking about divine enablement that is being produced by grace as a result of receiving grace you are being ena- enabled to accomplish certain things by grace you can call those ors, but not grace by product of grace yes but not grace itself do you, do you hear what I'm saying right now no yeah See, it's a little bit theological. I I knew it. So let me just shift the gears a little bit. So listen. He says, there is absolutely nothing that you can do to save yourself or earn God's favor. You cannot do it. Um, The idea here is that I did not do anything in my life to receive God's grace or earn God's grace by my religiosity, by my living righteously, because we established already that this is filthy rags, by doing anything else, it's unearned. You cannot buy something that is free, it's either free. Or you have to pay for it. Gift, it's when somebody gives you something and you don't have to give it back. It's not like somebody gives you a gift and say, oh, and you're like, wow, this is nice, awesome, and and, and people are like, okay, that would be 25 bucks. That's not a gift anymore. I mean, granted, my kids give me that gift, my younger kids. They would come to me, and they would ask money to buy a gift for me, and then they would buy something. But that's not how God works. There is no, it's completely free. Now, to summarize everything, I want to show you a little video. And it actually, you know the story. It's about uh, father and son, and it's a picture of, and I mentioned that grace is, the best expressed by picture. It's a father and son named Rick and Dick. You know them. You've probably seen the video, but it just so perfectly demonstrates this point here that I want to show it to you. Rick was born with a severe brain damage. When he was born, an umbilical cord was wrapped around his neck, and because of the lack of oxygen, his brain was severely damaged. So when he was born, he could not; his motor functions were disabled. He would he could not function, and so um, when he was born, he could not move. But they noticed that his eyes were moving. And he expressed signs of intelligence. He was disabled, but his eyes moving, he understood that something was wrong with him. Imagine being in the shell when you feel like something is wrong, you could. see things, you can understand things, and yet you cannot do anything about it. You could see that something is wrong with you, but you cannot move a finger. That describes me, and that describes you. My friend, we were all born in this condition. We knew that something is wrong, something is not functioning, something is, is not working, and yet we cannot change it. Something is wrong. The, the understanding of it is there, the intelligence is there. We are not dead. And so back in the 70s, they didn't even have computers, but doctors they've, they, they invented a device that would read his eyes movement to the point that he could actually communicate messages to his parents, just simply by moving his mind uh, eyes. And, and they discovered that he was extremely intelligent. And then uh, when he uh, grew up, and, st- and there was this communication, he, uh, uh, I remember it was something to the extent where uh, there was a marathon that was in honor of some young teenager who got into the accident. This Rick communicated to his father, I wanted to run the marathon. How can you run the marathon if you're completely this disabled? And the father, the father took upon himself to actually run not just one marathon. He ran a lot of marathon. One marathon was like, I believe, hundreds of miles. They had to run on the bicycle, and then they had to swim, and then they have to do some some very challenging running and, 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 and uh, uh, swimming and, and other obstacles and uh, that 's basically a picture of Grace. Take a listen Now, that person in the wheelchair. Is me. I know that I cannot move my finger. I realize that. And the problem with grace is I cannot even get in that chair by myself. All what I can do is to communicate to God or answer his question, do you want to be whole? Yes, I want to be whole. And there is this process of being saved, being saved right now, and will be saved in the future. Saved, being saved, and will be saved, started in the moment. When you say yes to God's grace, close your eyes, bow your heads.